2: Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by Nick Falatto, my co-host and trusted partner in crime. And it's not quite as exciting of a day three as it was a day one and a day two for the New York Football Giants when they not only found a way to acquire just incredible amount of draft capital for the 2022 draft, but also draft players who are awesome like. Quite literally, we would have been happy with Z. not happy, I wouldn't have been happy, but Nick would have been happy with Zizo Ojolari at 11. I would have been fine with it. I would have
3: been fine with it. Yeah. Okay,
2: and yeah. not like thrilled, but you would have been fine with it. And I would have mm-hmm. been like, ah, oh, a little bit of a reach, whatever. Got him at 50. And then, of course, Kadarius Tony, a guy we're warming up to more and more. To start the draft off with those two and Aaron Robinson, who the more you watch, the more exciting that pick gets, especially if you factor in how important pass coverage in the NFL, day one and two were just knockout slam dunks when you also add in all that 22 capital. So day three, they came back, and they did what I expected them to do, ultimately. I know we talked a lot last night about all these offensive guards they might want to take, these top targets, oh, Trey Smith. I knew the Giants were going to take best player available. That's what they do. I believe in that strategy. I do not think you should force picks for need. And with the first pick off the board, the Giants went with edge pass rusher Ellerson Smith, a player who Nick has been huge on for multiple months i mean nick went on i believe talking giants podcast talked about ellerson smith as a sleeper last night on our targets section of our reaction to day two podcast we named ellerson smith and i want to get into smith but i want to first start by asking you nick do you agree with the idea because i think we both agree that smith is a good value at this spot now do you think that it was the right decision to go with the right a big value play here over kind of jamming through an offensive guard at this spot which i know a lot of fans wanted them to do I'm all about the value to be honest and i'd rather
3: them go in that direction and it's pretty apparent at this point where we're recording this and there's still a seventh round to to go down but Trey Smith's still on the board <laughs> so th- those medicals are, are a real issue and I was hesitant about Trey Smith's tape when they were talking about him as a second rounder but I would have been fine with him in the fourth round but obviously those blood clots are more of a concern to these NFL teams and he's falling down. And then you look at some of the other guards that ended up getting drafted, guys like Deontay Brown that we talked about a little bit, Royce Newman, guys who are, are solid players and you can add them to depth for the offensive line, but ultimately I would rather have a player like Ellerson Smith, you double down on the edge rushers and Ellerson Smith, he's going to be a pass rush specialist early on. We're going to get into his strengths and his weaknesses in a little bit, but you're adding juice and talent to that pass rush that we do have concerns about. And now if... Leonard Williams has a slight regression, doesn't get double-digit sacks. You still have other pieces around him. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm going to love to see uh, Leonard Williams and Ellersen Smith run these games together, man. These twists With that and stuff. kind of length. oh, It's going to be so much fun to see <sighs> that. But now you have just more options, and that may allow Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez not to come back as early. Well, specifically to Lorenzo Carter, even though it seems like they're going to be ready for day one of the NFL.
2: Yeah, I think if I was asked that question, I would have the same answer. I'm ha- I'm first of all, I love this pick, and we'll get into why shortly after. But as far as the guards go, and as far as the interior offensive line goes in this fourth round, let's say, you know, because again, the Giants picked at one sixteen and then didn't pick again until one ninety six. So it was do or die, basically, for taking a guard. Like they're not they were never gonna jam a guard in with either of those last two six round picks for a variety of reasons, which we'll get to when we get to those picks. But it was do or die spot and I'm fine with where they went because I have a lot of faith that Ellerson Smith could be the perfect style pick not just from a value standpoint but from an upside standpoint which I'll get to why in a moment but as far as the guards go yeah the Giants found a quote-unquote starter last season in the fifth round of the draft in Shane Lemieux I don't like I don't qualify him as much of a starter as I guess some Giants fans do like I think a lot of players could have come in and give the production that Shane Lemieux gave which was quite honestly one of the worst pass protecting guards in the NFL that was starting if we're just going to be honest about the situation and not you know fall into the Giants bubble if you just look at the facts of it he was one of the worst pass protecting guards now was he a solid run blocking guard yes was he an above average amazing run blocking guard no not really but I mean would you disagree with any of that so far
3: I wouldn't. I would say that he was solid. Solid, like, yeah. yeah.
2: Average level
3: guard with with upside to grow because he is a rookie in the fifth round. And I, and I think it's awesome that the Giants found somebody who could start for them in the fifth round, but you need to be able to protect the quarterback and not allow, and it's not even just you're losing in pass protection, you're losing right off the snap. And Daniel Jones doesn't even hit his back foot yet, and he has somebody in his face. And that just throws the entire rhythm and timing off of
2: plays. 100%. And they were very lucky in a lot of spots last year on those reps where he lost so quickly in pass protection to not have uh, drive killing plays because on a lot of those Jones did an excellent job to get away and either throw the ball incomplete or dump it down or somehow run for a couple yards he avoided some really bad plays because if he on those quick pressures that Shane Lemieux gave up and there was a minimum of one per game in the games he started I don't think I remember one game where he didn't get beat right off the snap I mean there might have been one or two in there but there were also then in addition to that there were some games where he gave up multiple quick pressures and Yeah, Jones did a great job, but that's not always going to happen. Sometimes he's going to take that sack and it's going to kill the drive. Or sometimes he's going to take a sack and he's going to fumble and it's going to kill the game because they're (laughs) going to turn the ball over. Or sometimes the pressure is going to lead to a quick throw, quicker than he wanted to make it, ball tipped in the air, intercepted, game changed because of that pressure. So... I don't think they were going to ultimately find their starting guard to replace Shane Lemieux in the fourth round, personally, in this class. Like, I guess you could say Trey Smith, maybe, but obviously there's some medical issues that took him off everyone's board. Deontay Brown, I don't know about that. I think I'd rather Shane Lemieux, especially having a year or two in the system, better coaching, all that progression stuff, which is something to consider. But again, remember, everyone is doing it. Every coaching staff is getting with their second-year players. And also, Shane Lemieux, it's not just about, like, inexperienced. That's not the only reason he struggled. It's athletic limitations if we're going to be honest about the situation. So ultimately I'm totally fine with the direction they went here passing on offensive line. As me and you have discussed a lot Nick, I am never going to subscribe to draft for need. My philosophy will never be that. It will always be draft the best possible player you have scouted. Giants did that in round three when they traded up for Aaron Robinson despite not needing cornerback and they somewhat did it here with Smith. Though I do think adding more pass rushers is sort of still a need even after you got Aziz, even after you got Indignbo. What is it? O'Denebo? Odenebo. Odenebo. Even after you got Anderson. <laughs> even after you, you know, return Lorenzo. You got, retu- you return O'Shea. And I still think you need to find another good pass rusher. And for me, I'm extremely excited about Ellerson Smith. So before I get, dive into why I like the pick, because I think it's going to be a little bit different from what you're going to have to offer here. Why don't you break down from you from what you scouted on Smith what you like about him
3: yeah from the tape so it's really hard to find 2019 tape so he played at the FCS level Northern Iowa they're did not, they just didn't play in 2020. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it wasn't even a COVID opt-out, they just didn't play. Right. But everybody kind of got drawn to Ellerson Smith when he went down to the Senior Bowl. Because he goes down there, and we'll talk about his measurements in a little bit, but they're really, really eye-popping, as well as his athletic testing. But he goes down there, he's incredibly long. One thing I really wanted to bring up before I get into his tape is his arm length. He has Don't 30. get into any of that, because no, 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 that's no. all my juice. No, that's I, all I got. I know, I know, I'm not going to get kidding, too no. far into it, but he has an incredible wingspan, it's 85th percentile, but this just talks to Aziz Osaori, so... Homeboy right here, Ellerson Smith is six foot six, thirty-three and one-fourth inch arms. Aziz Ojolari's arms are considerably longer than his. Yet he's six foot two. It's kind of like what I was talking about. Right. Like, Aziz Ojolari has longer arms than some of these guys who are six foot six. But anyway, this kid, Ellerson Smith, incredibly long, but he was really, really fast, and that's what you really want to see from start to finish. He was able to kind of gain the edge as an edge rusher getting up to the half man and getting his hips flipped i would say he does a solid job bending through contact but i just love how quick his hands were because he would go with the double swipe inside jab move and i want to say i put it on twitter where he beats james hudson in the practice and a lot of the film that i have done on him is from the senior bowl and i saw a lot of positive things in one-on-one reps which generally are more advantageous for the defender but then i saw him in team periods and they, they didn't run a lot of stunts and twists but when they did He looked really, really smooth, man, and he really shoots inside, has incredible lateral quickness, and an ability to dip, and this is what I love. He dips his inside shoulder or outside shoulder, depending on the stunt that he's running, and he bends, and I'm telling you, man, he just reduces the surface area of his chest so well, so tackles cannot get a clean hit on him. And that's kind of what you love. Now, his center of gravity while rushing the passer isn't as high. I mean, isn't as high as it is when he's defending the run, sometimes defending the run there that I have some concerns there. Right. I think he's going to be a pass rush specialist. Uh, early on in his career with the new york giants till he adds a little bit more sand in his ass and he can kind of set the edge consistently because i did see times and a little bit of 2019 film i saw and even down the senior bowl a little bit where guys could get inside of his pads and they can lift his center of gravity and he doesn't necessarily have the anchoring ability to hold down the edge but going forward pinning his ears back the upfield mm-hmm. burst that he has the first three steps, all of those traits the foot quickness, the hand quickness, and the pass rushing repertoire that he does have, because you would expect this kid to just be incredibly raw with his hands and kind of just use his athletic ability, but no, he's actually stringing moves together, getting to his counter move, getting to a third move sometimes that the first wow. two don't work out.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: So I really like that about Ellerson Smith. I think there's a lot of upside there. I just need him to get a little bit better, a little bit stronger at the point of attack in terms of defending the run.
2: I think that's awesome. I mean, if you listen to that breakdown of what Nick saw on film, you can tell that he's somebody who can, in my mind, impact the Giants' pass rush in year one, especially when you talk about the things he's done well with this stunt game because that's a lot of what the Giants mm-hmm. like to do. And it's a lot of what they're going to like to do this season. And not only that, it's like it shows up. He was super productive. In his last full season, obviously Northern Iowa didn't play in 2020, which ultimately I think helped the Giants in this spot because I think it led to him dropping to this spot in round four. But because they didn't play the season before in his last full season, he had 14 sacks.
1: see rules banking services provided by mvb bank incorporated member fdic maximum balance and transfer limits apply
2: and a shit ton of pressures like the production was there again it is at northern iowa and obviously they're not playing the best of football teams i did see a, a clip that i tweeted out from uh russell brown who's a good draft analyst who had him a few uh breakdowns of him versus trey lances versus um north dakota state against trey lance and he looked pretty good man i mean he gets there quickly like you said moving upfield I think he's really good like you said obviously he might be able to teams might be able to take advantage of him if he's on the field too much in the run game Mm -hmm. that's obviously possible or in the screen game and things of that nature where he has to kind of get off blocks quick maybe that's possible but at the same time i don't think that's going to be too much of a factor in 2021 at least because like you said until he adds the weight until he becomes better in that regard the giants just won't put him in a position where he can be exposed in that way and as far as why i love this pick it's not just the production it's not it is the production. It's the film, but it's also just this one specifically for the edge position for me. When I go into these rounds, I am no longer interested in the Quincy Ruscha types of the world. I want these types. I want the guys you can bank on athleticism. I want to be looking for the next Danil Hunter. I want to be looking for guys who have the upside based on their traits, and he has the length. He has the burst moving forward. He has just about every trait you want, but then also the upside based on athleticism and he has that in droves i mean we're talking about somebody who's just an absolute freak athlete growing into his body he had a 9.72 raw athletic score out of 10 it's possible out of 10 according to kent lee platt who runs this he's that a, ranked 40 i'm sorry he's a good
3: follow too kent lee platt. It's at yeah. MathBomb, bomb buddy of mine from uh I think oh, nice. yeah he's cool. a good
2: guy yeah i'm gonna actually throw him a follow because i don't think i follow him which is uh disappointing because he's an excellent person to follow and kent lee platt math bomb said this ranked 40th out of 1371 edges from 1987 to 2021 40th out of 1371 edges that's insane it's insanity like some of these numbers are out of control 95th percentile height for edges among all edges 98th percentile vertical this guy can leap out the building 94th percentile broad jump again leaping ability 90th percentile hand size which is extremely important for pass rushers 90th percent or i'm sorry 81st percentile 10 yard split so he's got that burst like you said moving forward and then honestly that these aren't amazing percentiles but the three cone 7.11 is pretty damn solid certainly above average and gets 69th percentile And then 22 bench reps, 64%. That's solid too, especially for a guy who's still growing into his body, who showed up as a recruit at 195 pounds. And that's the last thing I love about him. He's learning the position. And this is a guy who played tight end coming into his days. And at 195 pounds, he showed up. At northern iowa he's gonna grow into his body what is he now 250 he's probably gonna end up at with the frame like 67 66 you could probably end up 270 maybe 265 potentially and so he's still growing into his frame he's still learning the position and ultimately it feels to me like this is just a slam dunk pick from what for what you want and again looking for that next daniel hunter and it is funny because athletically at least according to mock draftable one of the comparisons athletically for him is Denell hunter so Definitely somebody who I'm extremely intrigued by, Nick, and I'm just so thrilled with this pick.
3: Yeah, and he didn't have a lot of reps dropping into coverage, only 11 through his two seasons at Northern Iowa. But you can kind of see the way he moves, especially going forward. I've seen him backpedal a little bit in senior bowl drills. He's fluid enough to do what Kyler Fackle did. Sure. It's just he's not going to be able to set the edge as well as Kyler Fackle did. And that's going to be the issue early on when it terms in terms of getting on the field. But, I mean, this guy had 75 pressures. In college and really just broke out in 2019. He had 62 pressures. So he only had 13 in 2018. And like you said, man, he's learning the position and he's put what, 60 pounds on since he was recruited. So he, this kid put 60 pounds on his frame, and he's already getting a little bit technically sound as a pass rusher. He, he seems to be incredibly coachable. Uh, I talked with my boss at Big Blue View, Ed Valentine, and he was on the Zoom call with him, and he was like, oh, man, this kid is just easy to love personality-wise. Mm. So I, like you said, bro, there's there's a lot to like about him. The film, from what you see, again, you got to take some of it with a grain of salt because it's lesser competition. Sure. It checks out, though. And then down at the Senior Bowl. Like, I brought this up several times. I've written about this with a lot of these prospects like Quinn Miners and guys who did not play in 2020. To be able to be a Northern Iowa prospect go down to the Senior Bowl, not play at all in 2020, and then embarrass Power 5 tackles, that's difficult to do, man. And it really says a lot about how serious you take your craft.
2: You're damn right it does. And once again, another Senior Bowl standout for the Giants. They simply love the Senior Bowl players. And I think it's, It's true, but it's also even more so true in this weird draft year where they just didn't have a chance to meet one-on-one with anybody but who they met at the Senior Bowl. Just imagine that. You're going through this draft process. You're making a decision on who to draft. You know that recently in your history you had a DeAndre Baker situation where you literally used an insane amount of draft capital to get a player, traded three picks to move back into the first round. And then that guy's not on your team a year later. You do not want that happening again at all costs. So I don't blame them, honestly, Nick, for deferring to just drafting a lot of these senior bowl guys because they had a chance to meet with them personally, one-on-one, like face-to-face, not over Zoom, right? Not Mm -hmm. with their scouts only who get their one stupid Zoom meeting with these guys who are all tired out from all these dumb Zoom meetings where they're just answering like robots, the same over and over questions. They got to meet this guy and see his personality. And you nailed it, man. I think there's honestly a really big nice trend starting to develop for this dave gettleman regime of going for value over need on day three of the draft and i couldn't love anything more because there are going to be guys that slide last year it was darnay holmes at the time you thought they didn't need a corner i remember when that pick was made we talk about this all the time Everybody's like, corner? Are you kidding me? No, no, no. See, with that, with the Darnay Holmes one, I'm going to disagree with you okay. because that one, we
3: were like, okay, this guy, he was a boundary. We had an issue with the boundary thing, but like if he could play slot, because we really needed an upgrade over Grant Haley at that time.
2: Sure, but I remember, on. T- I know I agree with what you're saying entirely, and I know that their yeah. intentions the whole time was to play in the slot, but I remember at the time, the reaction from the fans was like, are we really taking another corner here? We need position X, Y, Z over that. And at the same time, just I meant over more overall, just kind of the 30,000 foot view of this is that he was in a lot of people's minds, a lot of scouts minds, a borderline second round pick that fell only because of his height. And so there was the value. And I feel like with Ellerson Smith, if he had played last season and had more tape to when teams had more tape to work with. He could have been a third-round pick, a second-round pick. Though, again, these, these kind of guys tend to fall. Danil Hunter is a good example of that, and especially because he played at a smaller school. I want to say Daniel Hunter didn't even, like, not have a sack or he had, like, very low sack totals in college. No sacks, all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No like, pressures, no sacks. It sack. was a
3: Jason Owa type of a yes. situation, but it was just how LSU, I think, was using him, and he was yeah. also another player who was kind of growing into his body and exactly. being able to realize what he could do. It seemed like Ellerson Smith grew into his body but quickly realized what he could do, and <laughs> he, he could like, out-athlete anybody at um, Northern Iowa. Those comments, but then when you go yeah. down to the Senior Bowl and you still do it, I mean, that's where it's like, whoa, who the heck is this Northern Iowa kid? And that's where I caught eyes on him. I never watched him. And then he goes to his pro day and just absolutely murders the pro day. And I was like, holy crap, man. This guy has some special lower body explosiveness and quickness with that length. And those aren't things that you typically find on day three with all those things put together, along with the production. But again, the production is against fcs players
2: sure but it's still such a steady drumbeat right i mean this projection for him this slow upper, not even slow this pretty fast rising upper projection starts with him coming in at 195 pounds as somebody who basically never played edge and doesn't really know the position evolving into someone who gets production immediately albeit again in a smaller conference mm-hmm. then like you said gets a chance to show out against real competition the senior bowl aces it then like you said gets a chance to show scouts what he could be from a trade standpoint at his pro day aces it that's the drumbeat. That's what we talk about when we talk about the steady drumbeat building. It's point A, point B, point C, point D. He aces every single one of them. Then, like you said, even in the interview, which I'm sure he stood out, by the way, personality-wise when he met with the Giants at the Senior Bowl, aces that as well. And you just start to get this feeling that Ellerson Smith could be somebody really special. This is, I know it's crazy to talk about 116 overall. Can you get a special player? But it's not that crazy. Like Teams find studs in day three all the time. And I really think he... I'm not saying he will be, but I think he profiles as somebody who could just be an ult- the ultimate steal for this regime over their four or five years. I would hope so, man. And I would say um, some more negatives that
3: I would have yeah. on him is the power rush game. So I love his finesse moves. I love his ability to string those moves together. But you don't necessarily see a lot of... Uh, power behind mm. it not a lot of speed to power conversion you know he has the speed and the quickness to do that but can he unlock a lot of lower body drive and a lot of core strength a lot of lower body strength to be able to push these big nfl tackles backwards that i do not believe he has quite yet the ability to generate the torque that he's going to need to throw offensive tackles to the ground although he did that at the senior bowl against i, I want to say it was a pit offensive lineman i'm not not sure if that guy's going to end up getting drafted or whatnot <laughs> but i would say power rush is something that he doesn't have in his repertoire quite yet quite yet can that come with an actual nfl weight room with an actual nfl diet mm. plan possibly especially since this kid did add so much weight so that might be something that he could learn within this patrick Ram system and if he does learn that then you're talking about an incredibly dangerous guy if he can add power and anchoring ability against the run you're talking about someone who's going to be able to start man with right. all, the, all these traits
2: that he has and these measurables gonna be really really impressive so exciting man to think about and i got a question for you because he did have some experience in his background playing tight end so do you think there's I mean, as far as the athleticism goes, it certainly suggests that he's capable of it. Now, do you think there's any possible chance that the Giants get a little creative and come up with some red zone packages where he might be on the field at tight end? <laughs> I mean, we've seen creative packages from Joe Judge this
3: season. I mean right. they tried to throw a two point conversion to Andrew Thomas. So I don't right. think it's without a Golden uh, Tate through a pass. Golden Tate through a pass. I'm sure Kadarius Tony's gonna be used that way. Hopefully. But we might have a struggle getting the offensive players on the field with all the talent that yeah, they have so yeah maybe if they really want to get creative but you usually want to get somebody really really powerful in those short yardage situation to sell the run that's not really ellison smith
2: good point yeah. Though I do think his length and his yeah. leaping ability. I mean, you got it, somebody who's has a forty one and a half inch vertical at six foot seven in the red zone. That's the only reason I'm thinking about it. I'm talking about six foot seven, <laughs> has a little bit of experience playing uh tight end and has a forty one and a half inch vertical. To me that strikes as somebody who might be able to th- throw you throw a jump ball in a one on one situation in the red zone when you need one. I don't know. I've seen crazier things. <laughs> yeah. I've seen crazier things. It's intriguing to say the least. I do think right now, one thing I want to really Pause on and give a lot of credit to Dave Gettleman and this Giants regime on is how is the kind of work they've done on day three of the draft so far through his classes and I and I'm going to include the first one but it was a tough one because they didn't have as many picks they tried to take a swing on Loletta it didn't work out R.J. McIntosh had some traits that were nice and still honestly has some pretty good snaps when he randomly gets to play but just it's kind of buried on the depth chart. But after that, I mean, they've located Darius Slayton, they've located Shane Lemieux, they've located Tate Crowder, they've located, in my mind, two players who could also potentially be at worst special teams aces for them, but maybe more than that, and Carter Coughlin and and um, Cam Damn. Brown. And now Ellerson Smith, a guy I really like. I really think they have, and obviously Darnay Holmes, I don't want to forget him, Julian Love, I'm not going to include him in this, though. I think we thinking. should. I think we should. I don't know. I think this draft shows that—this draft frequency shows that he's—this might be the end of Julian Love, in my opinion. I don't think he's a lock to make the roster. I'll go out and say that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that he is either. But I, I think ultimately he will, but I don't think it's a lock.
3: Sure. That secondary
2: is deep, bro. It's super deep. But his
3: versatility is something I think they're going to value.
2: His versatility is valuable, but at the same time, I don't know that he does any one thing very good. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's a really good slot guy, I don't know that he's a really good boundary guy, and I don't think he's a really good deep half guy. I think he's I think he's solid at all of them.
3: It's I just he doesn't he's not it. he's not good at any of them. I think that's a fair way if we're gonna break it down in a more simplistic manner.
2: Sure. And it's like if on a on a normal team that might be something you want and might be something worth rostering, but on a team that now has Aaron Robinson and a Dory Jackson and uh obviously Logan Ryan and McKinney now coming back to play basically what we expect to be a full-time role I think I don't think there's going to be too many snaps where he's not on the field it's very crowded there, and ultimately—and and even, like, let's say who we're going to get to in a moment, if their sixth-round pick also works his way into the mix, and Greedy Williams's brother— why am I forgetting his first name? Rodarius. Rodarius. Right? We got, got Cooper's We got Rodarius. 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 We got all the Dariuses, but if Rodarius works his way and shows a little bit more than you might think, because, again, this is a guy who played a pretty high level of press man coverage for Oklahoma State and obviously raised his game in 2020, though was not great on film in 2018, 2019— it just seems like it could be crowded for love. But anyway, regardless of that, I like what they're doing on day three. I think they're onto something by going value and best player available over forcing and jamming needs. And if you really think about it, like even if Ellerson Smith doesn't hit, just with what we've seen already and the production we've gotten already from Darius Slayton, Shane Lemieux, Tay Crowder, and um, and, and Darnay Holmes, it's basically more than what we ever saw from those Jerry Reese classes. like With the exception of the first one with Ahmad Bradshaw and Kevin Boss, he really didn't get much at all from those day three picks, Jerry Reese. Like, this, it was a slew of misses in day three for him. Which
3: was insane, too, because that twenty uh, that 2007 draft class, Dan, was one of the best draft classes I've ever seen. It's one of the best in Giants history. Honestly, it is. Like, every single one of those players had a pretty substantial role to them winning the Super Bowl, except for Adam Coates. Yes. No, no knock him Adam Coates, but he was just a backup offensive tackle. Even Michael Johnson, who was a safety, drafted in like the seventh round, had a pretty significant role and continued to grow in that role throughout the next coming seasons.
2: Yep, 100% right. And then obviously Kevin Boss and Bradshaw were extremely significant. Jay Alford with that big sack in the Super Bowl. Yes, yes. I mean, it was an unreal class. But uh, after that, let's say from 2018, or 2008, I'm sorry, through 2017, They really didn't hit much on those day three picks, and that's a lot of classes. So I do want to give a lot of credit to Dave Gettleman, his regime, and this entire front office now for what they've done on day three. But let's turn the page a little bit and move to their next pick on day three. Again, the Giants didn't pick for 80 picks after Ellison Smith because, obviously, they made the trade on day three to move up for Aaron Robinson. And in that trade, they have traded the fifth-round pick that they acquired from the Bears— And why didn't they have a fifth-round pick in general? Because it went to the Jets uh, for the Leonard Williams trade. It was the second of two picks that went to the Jets. Obviously, last year's third-round pick. Which was Ashton Davis. Which was Ashton Davis. And then this year's fifth-round pick, I believe. Though I think somebody tweeted out it was the fourth-round pick because of Michael Carter. Is that correct? And they acquired another fourth-round pick? I found that confusing. I don't think that was the case. You know, I'm not 100%
3: certain. Okay. I'm I'm really not. I think it was
2: the second Michael Carter they took the corner.
3: I I believe so because I think the Jets were going to get a— the fourth round pick and if the Giants s- sign Leonard Williams before a certain date and that did not happen right but I'm not really 100% certain I that. think
2: that's the case though because their fourth round pick 116 was their traditional fourth round pick so it makes sense but anyway so they come back on the board at 196 80 picks later late round six and they take a running back who I don't think a lot of people expected them to take in Brightwell so here we are with Gary Brightwell running back out of Arizona. We can talk a little bit about him, but I think ultimately it's important to first note what Dave Gettleman said in an interview with ESPN, what has been the case since Joe Judge took over, something that I think is a really smart decision. With these late round picks, and I think it probably starts around sixth round for them. I think anything before that, like fifth round where they found Darius Slayton, fifth round where they found Shane Lemieux. They're still thinking potential starters, potential impact players on offense or defense. Once you get to sixth round, I think with the Giants with this regime, they're looking at finding a Blue Goose special teams ace. That's what Gettleman said on ESPN. He said, we want to find two Blue Goose special teams guys with these last two picks, our sixth round picks. So Gary Brightwell, do you think he can be a Blue Goose special team guy for the Giants? And do you think he can be more than that? Potential running back? Because for me, if you're just going pure running back here, I would have much rather taken Khalil Herbert, and I would have much rather taken uh, Jarrett Patterson. He's not even a debate for me. I Jamar
3: Jefferson's on the board, And too. Jamar Jefferson's mm-hmm. on the board. Those
2: three running backs, as far as pure running backs go, I don't even think it's a question for me. But if you're looking for a special teams Blue Goose, maybe Gary Brightwell gives you a much better chance at that.
3: But isn't that why the Giants signed Devontae Booker?
2: To be a special teams Blue Goose? Yeah, to help <laughs> with special teams as No, well. I think it was mostly pass protection.
3: That too, I yeah. mean, but I do believe... The presence of De- Devonte Booker and his ability to sure. play special teams is something that the Giants value. It's stuff we've brought up on this podcast before. But with Brightwell, I mean, he's like six foot one, about two hundred and twenty pounds. That's a solid size. I mean, that's what PFF has him listed as. I think mm-hmm. he's a little bit smaller. I think he's probably about five eleven, but that's not a big deal whatsoever in terms of being a running back. And I haven't seen much on him. I watched uh, the YouTube clip of him going up against Arizona State, and the first play he fumbles like a pitch pass, and then he fumbles on the goal line, which isn't exactly. Uh, something that you'd love to see pass protection. It seemed like he didn't do as well for somebody of his size and mm. something else I'll say, but he shows some nimble footwork and ability to actually make some players miss in space, which I didn't expect from him. I wouldn't consider him shifty or somebody who has a lot of burst. He's a little bit more of a plotter. It seems like, but if they believe that he can refine his ability to kind of, take on these blitzers and pass protection, then he could be a punt protector or something like Mm. that. Somebody who can also run down the field and make tackles. I haven't studied a special teams film from Arizona, but maybe he has an extensive history, I guess, doing that for the Arizona Wildcats. But I I didn't really know much about Gary Brightwell, to be honest, when they selected him. There were other running backs that I definitely would have preferred in terms of running the football, like you said. But if this guy is going to just be a special teamer, then we're going to have to see how he develops into that role. I don't really have too much insight into it, unfortunately, as of right now.
2: Yeah, I think that's all fair, Nick. And I think in addition to what you said, one other thing when it comes to Brightwell is it's not just running the football where I think those guys, Khalil Herbert, Jefferson, and Patterson, have a big advantage on him. It's an, in the passing oh, yeah. game as well. Even somebody like Herbert who didn't have much of a role in the passing game but when he was used in the passing game was filthy. That's not the case for Brightwell. Brightwell was really, really bad in the passing game. I'm talking about five drops on 23 career targets. Like that's beyond bad. That's next level bad. Just a total non-factor in the passing game. And I think obviously the, there is also some questions about the fact that he's never had more than 89 carries in a season. He's not, He hasn't proven to be a workhorse. I don't think that's what they're looking for here. But to me this picture screams full out – total specialty it has to be i I don't think it's anything more than a special teams which is okay i mean the giants have made the decision i guess i'll ask you this nick then because i'll see where your take is on this but i'll I'll then reveal mine the giants have made a decision to prioritize getting a really elite special teams unit do you think that's the right way to go with your late round picks i think it's an option to do but if there's uh say a medical flyer on the board Mm -hmm. like
3: the lyle collins back in the day Mm -hmm. with the Dallas Cowboys or some, Jackson or somebody who slid like an Alaric Jackson or something like that from the University of Iowa Demetric Felton the running back from UCLA who was still on the board he's a player that would have been interesting because he has the wide receiver running back but some can argue that he's just a weaker version of Kadarius Tony but anyways back to Gary Brightwell he did have 384 total special team snaps at Arizona and he had seven tackles on the coverages. That's kind of a lot, to be honest, mm. through uh, three seasons having seven tackles. So I'm guessing I haven't seen that film. I'm guessing that's something that they really think that he can do for the Giants. I, I do believe though, going special teams is is a smart thing to do. You can argue that's what they did last year, but they ended up finding starters in Pay Crowder, Cam Brown with the sixth round pick. I think Cam Brown was brought in because of his leadership, his versatility, the length that he has, and the fact that he could drop into coverage, the linebacker edge kind of mold that he's in. But also because of special teams and like i said i think he had a game saving tackle against cincinnati on special teams on i think it was a punt return or might have been a kick return but in terms of gary brightwell man i mean i would have went in different directions to get running backs but i think we've kind of talked about that at length at this point
2: yeah and it's interesting too because you factor in the thought process here which is that the Giants do have Devontae Booker and Barkley for sure on their locked-in on their roster, right? They're also probably going to keep Penny on the roster, who they can consider in many ways a running back in the sense that the Giants aren't running sets with fullbacks very often. So, and, and most teams don't even carry fullbacks at this point. So that really is considered a third running back that you're rostering. So somebody like, you know, Khalil Herbert or Jared Patterson, any of those guys we mentioned— Would they make the final roster? I don't know because I'm not sure Brightwell will make the final roster. I'm not sure either of these two six-round picks. The Giants have a crap ton of players on their roster. A lot of these guys are going to get cut, like a ton of these guys. They'll get relegated
3: to the practice squad. Yeah, of course.
2: Cut and relegated to the practice squad, but ultimately not making that 53-man roster. And that was the case last year for Chris Williamson, who the Giants took late. And that was the case for Brunson, who they took late. So it's not uncommon that some of these guys are just not going to be on the team starting week one of the season, and he may be the answer. But I don't mind taking a swing on special teams. I think at this point I'm fine with that idea. I think having a really good special teams unit is an underrated aspect of winning football teams. So I can get on board with that. Let's move on to the other. Oh, yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I wanted to bring up one thing. Did you see the San Francisco 49ers pick two picks before the Giants selected uh, Gary Brightwell? They went with Elijah Mitchell who Hmm. Rob Sale has a lot of insight on. So this could have been the second time the 49ers jumped the Giants somehow and just sniped it with the Aaron Banks thing, which I don't believe they were going to go Aaron Banks. I think it was going to be Aziz Jolari there. But, I mean, it's not ridiculous to think there were going to be conversations to add a player like Aaron Banks to the Giants because he fits, and it is a position that I would argue was a need.
2: I think that would have been a big debate in the draft room. If Aaron Banks hadn't got it 48 overall, I think it would have been – one side pulling for Aziz, another side pulling for Banks. I think you're right. Ultimately, the Aziz side would have won out, but I think it would have been a lot closer. I think Gettleman was on the Banks side. I think that's, I'm still sticking with <laughs> I think that's why we saw him shaking his head because another, he got sniped again. Got sniped by the Eagles once, then he got sniped by the Niners. And this could have been another snipe with Elijah Mitchell. It's hard to tell. I mean, because Gainwell is such a different time, type of pick than Mitchell. Exactly, yeah. They're not really similar players, but it's possible still that they were like, you know, if we can get, Mitchell, and as we're watching this, so many Wisconsin players are coming off the board that it's hard for me. I uh, keep seeing, them. oh Van Lennon. They just took Wild Goose. Wild Goose, by the way, Richard Wild Goose, who, who was selected by the Colts. Keep an eye out for him. I think he's going to be a corner in the NFL. I would have taken him over uh, Williams, who we took, but that's probably based on my Wisconsin bias. You're biased, you really, <laughs> when it comes to the Badgers. You're damn right, I am because they are the best team in the Big Ten. Never, but one day, <laughs> maybe if I'm lucky. But anyway, yeah, I mean. Like you said, I don't know if they got sniped again here, but it's definitely possible. And then with their 2nd 6th six-round pick, they did go for the older brother, which I know people are going to hate this fact. I didn't even tweet it out because I knew people would hate it. I just said it was the brother. But the older brother of Greedy Williams, who was selected (laughs) last year, how often do you see an older brother come into the draft after his younger brother? Kind of odd from that standpoint. Rodarius Williams. But there is some things to like about Rodarius Williams, and there's some intrigue, I think. Now, he may again just be going for a special teams Blue Goose like Gettleman said yeah. he was going to do. That certainly could be the possibility here. But he did also have a lot of experience playing press man coverage during his career at Oklahoma State. According to Pro Football Focus, Williams had 653 snaps. That's a lot of snaps in press man at Oklahoma State. He's a long player, similar in that sense to, to, to Robinson. And it kind of strikes me as like, there's a trend going on here with these Williams and this Robinson picks and also adding Dory Jackson to the mix. Like I think they want to feel more comfortable using different coverages in 2021. We talked about this last night and they want to feel more comfortable using press man. And could he be a help? I don't know, it's a six round pick. Maybe he's just again just a special teams guy, but I'm definitely at least somewhat intrigued by the fact that this guy has press man coverage and he's kind of starting to fit a trend and a mold that you're starting to see with these Giants corners. Yeah, he was also a senior bowl guy too. Another senior <laughs> bowl guy. What do you know?
3: I don't have much film on the Oklahoma state defense to be honest, but he is a longer guy. He's a little bit high cut in the waist, which suggests that he may have some uh i guess you could say lateral agility issues on on like in in short areas that's just one thing like guys who have high cut hips you know they might not be as agile as some of the the guys who are a little bit lower to the ground especially ones who are a little bit taller like rodarius williams but you do like the length you do like the experience and press alignment and like i always say press doesn't mean you're using your hands to jam that's jamming press means an alignment jam is when you actually make contact but just being right up in somebody else's face is difficult and you need to know how to use your footwork and use your hands to jam in those situations and rodarius williams has a lot of experience doing that i'm going to get Into his tape, and we'll give you a more extensive scouting report on him. I mean, I could jump in and read you like what NFL.com says and stuff like that, but it's not what my eyes saw. But from um, everything we saw, I want to kind of dive into his stats real quick. I'll pull up his stats right here. He's played, what, 1,622 coverage snaps. He's surrendered 11 touchdowns, has two interceptions, and 27 passes defensed, according to Pro Football Focus. Suggests that he has pretty good ability to get his hands on the football and use that length well. So we're going to give you more on him once we watch a little bit more. But one thing I did see from the little bit of highlights I saw is he ain't no sap when it comes to tackling, bro. He's going mm-hmm. to stick you, and he's going to be aggressive, and that's what you would expect on a Joe Judge coach team.
2: Yeah, and I think just... You know, a little bit of, I guess, um, background here is just that, yeah, we're going to dive deeper into both of these six-round picks and also into Ellerson Smith. And the undrafted guys. And the undrafted guys as well. We'll group them in on a future podcast. That's for sure something that we plan to be doing. But today, we wanted to get quick reactions out on these players. And again, like you said, I mean, he has... One thing I thought was interesting, and I think this is important because I know we've gotten questions before, a lot of people I do think... I do think a lot of people who are newer to the game and they've talked to us, like, thanks for breaking down things and and walking things back and kind of breaking it down fully, think that press man coverage meant putting your hands up on the corner. But really, it's not. Like you said, it's just the alignment. And so then people might ask, like, what's the difference between press man coverage and just man coverage? And man coverage, I think, just means you have the responsibility for one man versus zone when you're playing in area.
3: Yeah, and then we can dive into man match and zone match, which we really get into. We (laughs) might even do, I mean... (laughs) We might even do like an off-season podcast on that we if, should, people, if people are interested in that type of stuff, especially because Patrick Graham loves to run those types of concepts. Didn't see it as much last year, but that's because the personnel wasn't there. But adding Robinson, Adoree Jackson, guys like Rodarius Williams even, you're going to be able to play a little bit more man coverage than what we saw in 2020.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And anything else you want to touch on from what the Giants did on day three or in general, what kind of their overall? I mean, we're going to get into the overall draft plan, the strat, the their strategy, how it how it played out, and overall thoughts and takeaways from the draft on a podcast tomorrow. So this won't be the end of our draft coverage. We're going to do an overall thing like we did last year, wrapping up and recapping the draft. This was just quick reaction to day three. So I guess hold off on that stuff, actually, Nick. But is there anything you wanted to discuss just on these picks? On these picks, no.
3: But okay. should we bring up? anything about the offensive line or do you want to wait for tomorrow i think we can
2: wait to talk about the offensive line a little bit more i think some people would rather hear it in in totality of kind of how we view the class but that's all we have for the day three right recap overall pretty pleased i think both nick and myself as we move forward as always, please do us a favor, if you do enjoy the show and you do like the Big Blue Banter podcast, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. If you have any questions for us or you want to talk ball with us, leave it in the leave that question or leave that comment in the rating and review, and we'll read it off. But I'll be honest with you, I did see something I didn't like in the recent review. So Uh-oh. the call out is coming and it's for G-Men for Life. G-Men for Life left a review that said on guard. Like the show, but using pick 11 for a guard is a bad use of resources. We need an impact player. He followed up with a three-star review out of five. I'm going to give G-Men the benefit of the doubt here, Nick, because I think he just doesn't understand how like bad it is for us to get a three-star review or to not get a five for not only where this podcast is indexed on iTunes, but for the overall Rating and everything that goes into the algorithm. I think he just was like, Oh, uh, on this podcast, they talked about maybe going AVT at 11. This was like a pre draft pod, right? And we don't, first of all, none of us even said we want to go AVT there, or none of us said we want them to take a guard no matter what. We've literally never said the whole time. But I think he probably was like, Oh, I didn't like the idea of going for a guard. Let's just drop a three star. But G men for Life, my man, my plea to you, head back over to your iTunes account hit the five-star button you said you liked the show don't leave us a three-star because we talked once about adding a guard please man
3: and I still stand by the fact that Slater would have been a fine addition I just didn't think they were going to go in that direction but adding a player like Slater who could play guard but could also play tackle if Matt Parrot fails and who's just an incredibly talented player I don't feel like it's a poor allocation of resources I like the fact that they traded back and got Kadarius Tony but I think that's definitely an option they could have pursued
2: Slater wasn't in my mind if you had drafted Slater it wasn't a lock he was going to be a guard for the for the entirety I think Slater has I'm sorry to say this for fans who will not like to hear this but I think out of all three tackles Slater Thomas and Parrott Slater has the highest upside at the offensive tackle position
3: that's that's kind of it would you
2: disagree though um I don't think you really would I don't want to disagree
3: but I I do have a lot of hope for Andrew Thomas. I do too yeah
2: I'm not saying Thomas is even good I just think Slater can be that good like, I think Slater can be an all-pro offensive yeah. tackle. I
3: don't think it's a ridiculous statement. Not with the no. feet.
2: Not with his feet and movements, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, And I think Andrew Thomas is going to be really good. I really do. But I think uh, Slater could legitimately be the next all-pro offensive tackle. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But that's part of why we were into drafting Slater. It wasn't just draft a guard at 11. Like, in my mind, Slater could have been the long-term best tackle on the roster, even if he started off at guard early in his career. Anyway couple other reviews thank you to toki McSmokey who said the best giants podcast for x and o analysis but nick you need to get on the wire which i entirely agree with you need i to...
3: agree i agree
2: i'm not against the
3: wire it's just no, i'm not. i'm really uh invested in the work that i'm doing right now covering <laughs> this draft and i'm trying to squeeze in the end of game of thrones which is which is uh on the
2: back burner right now yep uh let's see sad giants fan says film junkies love the podcast listen to every giants fan in texas nice love that we got a fan in texas coming out one note love that you analyze things from an approach standpoint you aren't afraid to admit your own bias on views toward your ideal roster building strategy, but then support the other side as well Cool. Yeah, I know. That's what we try to do. I mean, that's been the goal the entire time, try to take out the bias and add in the objectivity. I you know some people still think that maybe myself or you even at times are biased against the Giants, which I don't think is the case whatsoever. But I think that's kind of just how, you know, it is now and being a fan and just kind of listening to things. People want to hear the good stuff all the time. But that's never going to happen here. We're just going to call it like we see it. So I appreciate somebody like you said, Giants fan who understands that. That's our goal here. Be objective. Uh, JT from JR says professionals that are entertaining. Love the podcast. So thank you to everybody who took the time to leave these reviews on iTunes. And as usual, you can find us on Instagram at Banter. You can find us on YouTube. Type in Big Blue Banter. We have a few videos up. We're going to be putting up more. Help us grow that Big Blue Banter channel on YouTube. It's up to you guys. Well, not up to you guys. It's up to us. But you guys can help us. So do it, please. And then join us every Tuesday night on the Locker Room app for a live Q&A show. Otherwise, have a great rest of your weekend. And we'll talk to you tomorrow because we're going to be recapping the draft in its entirety on Sunday. So talk to you soon.